welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Well, this morning we're finishing up, closing out our six-week series out of the book of 1 Peter. We've been teaching the last six weeks uh, a series called exiles, uh, what does it look like and to be a follower of Jesus in this ever-turbulent 21st century? How do we go about navigating these um, complex cultural times? And so we've been studying this book of 1 Peter, and, and the solution or the answer to that that Peter's telling us is to live as exiles. You remember this. I've said it every week, so if you've been around, this should be familiar. That we're to live as exiles who possess this living hope that produces this holy living. And so week one, we just talked all about what it meant to be in exile. Week two, we unpacked this living hope and this holy living. That was chapter one. Chapter two, we dove into what does it look like to being a new kind of community. And then out of that new kind of community, how do we engage and live in a world that's unjust, unfair? And he talks about this beautiful living. That was week, um, what was that, three? Yeah, no, four. Uh, week five, last week, I told you this is, I think, perhaps the most important sermon of the entire series was learning how to suffer well. Now, what Peter does at the very end is he closes the section of his letter this way to these churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, this group of hundreds of churches all scattered around the province. This letter is going to be circulated around to them. He closes it out this way. He closes it to a, with a word to leaders. He, he's going to talk to leaders, and he's going to give some specific instructions to the leaders of the church. And here's the reason why he does this. He, the reason he does this is he understands and recognizes as the leaders go, so goes the church. As the leadership of the church goes, so the entire church is going to become. Uh, the way we said it around at Awakening often is speed of the leader. Anybody been around me? A few of you have. Speed of the team. And so what he understands is all the things we just taught for the last five weeks, unless it's instilled deeply and modeled by the leadership of the church, it's going to be all for naught. And so he's going to give this last bit of um, exhortation to leaders of the church. And so the title of this week's sermon is Courageous Leadership. Go ahead and say that to your neighbor real quick. That, that just sounded exciting. You're like, I showed up for this. Hmm. Cool. You know, I knew the minute I started talking about leadership, I was going to lose at least half of you. Because many people do not self-identify as a leader, and technically there is this spiritual gift of leadership uh, within the church, and we see that. But I want to maybe set this conversation up for us uh, in a way that helps us understand how we get to play a part and a role in this. So I want to do a little exercise with you real quick. It's going to be a little call and response, but just a simple question. What makes a good leader? You think about it. You have 10 seconds. Now nine seconds. Eight. Yeah, you got it. All right. Go ahead. Yell it out to me. Just some of the character qualities that make a good leader. Conviction. All right. Okay, next. 
Empathy. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that in the back. Active listener. listener. Ooh, that's good. Okay, I like that. Follower of Christ. Come on. Uh, wow, okay. What? Humility. Humility, yeah, 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 yeah. Humility, yeah, sacrificial. Uh, justice. Courage. Good grief. Wisdom. All right, Whew, I, I just got tired. I couldn't even finish smelling that. That's fine. We could, do th- we could do this all day long. We could do this all day long. I want you to notice something. All right? Got to find one that works. If I replace leader with disciple, do all those fit? Right? A disciple has conviction, has empathy, connection with people that is an active listener, obviously follower of Christ, humble, sacrificial, justice, courage, all these sort of things. See, what I want you to get this morning is what I see in this room is a room full of leaders. I see a room full of people who have influence and impact, who are called to make a difference. See, leadership at its core is fundamentally influence, having an influence and impact on someone else. The Great Commission tells us this, therefore go into all the world and what? Make disciples. And so every single follower of Jesus in some capacity is indeed a leader. You're going like, well, I don't have the gift of leadership. Thank you very much. I don't have the gift of giving. I still give. Okay. And here's the deal. We have to engage in this and realize, okay, I have been called to influence. And so this sermon isn't for 10% of you. This sermon is for every single one of us. And so Peter closes his letter talking about courageous leadership. Why? Because as the leaders go... So goes the whole church. And so he's going to talk to three different groups. He's going to talk to older leaders or seasoned leaders. Does that feel better? Seasoned? We don't have as many of us in there. I'm going to define that for us real quick because there's some seasoned leaders that still don't think they're all that seasoned. Then he's going to talk to emerging leaders. And then he's going to address every single leader or better way to say it, every single follower of Jesus. All right, you ready this morning? Yeah, you got your caffeine? All right, here we go. Open your notes and then open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. He's going to talk first to the older leaders. And here's what he says. To the elders among you. Who are the elders? Well, an elder, this word literally means to the older ones. And yet it's at the same time, you can tell by the context of how he's teaching, he's talking to those who are literally older, because he's going to address younger in just a little bit. It is as well, in the ancient Near East, the elder was a position of authority and leadership. It was a position of authority and leadership in the Judeo system, in the Greco-Roman world, and as well in the church in the early days. In fact, the apostles would go around, and they would, after they would preach the gospel, you'd have followers of Jesus, then they would spend time and appoint elders over the churches. Now, 
The difference in their day was they didn't have a room like this. They didn't have a PA system. The church looked quite a bit different than the way we gather today. In fact, when he's talking about to the elders, he's talking about a leader of a house church. And so like a a larger town might have four or five house churches and have elders that are presiding over that. And so he's talking to these leaders of the church And he says this, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. It's Apostle Peter who could appeal to them as an apostle and say, listen, you guys just have to listen to me. I'm like the leader of the church. Hello. And he says, no, we're on the same plane. Let, let, Let me appeal to you. We're in the same space. And as a witness of Christ's suffering who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Now notice this. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care. That there's this attentiveness. There's this watchfulness. There's this concern. There's this care. This longing and protectiveness. Watching over them. Overseeing them. This this diligent attention to. Not because you must, but because you're willing. As God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over others uh, of those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, notice this, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. He's going to unpack courageous leadership for those who are seasoned leaders or older leaders who are leaders within the church. I... I want you to first think about, okay, are you a group leader? I think he's talking to you right now. Are are you a team leader? I think he's talking to you right now. Are are you influencing? Maybe you're a parent or you're a coach or you're a teacher. You begin to take what we're about to say and you're a supervisor at your workplace. He's talking to you right now. And here's what he's saying. Courageous leadership for in the community of Jesus, here's what it looks like. And this is just leadership overall. Leadership is not a position you hold, but a posture you take. Leadership, and you know this, you've experienced this. Leadership is not a title. It's, it's not, I, all of a sudden, I have the corner office. Right? Because there's plenty of people with a title you will not follow. See, fundamentally, leadership is about... Uh, leading people somewhere if you're leading and no one's following all you're doing is going on a long walk leadership is not a position you hold but here's what peter's telling us it's a posture you take in our context as in the greco-roman world leadership was playing king of the hill i'm gonna push you down to elevate myself to push myself up I am going to protect my position no matter what the cost. It is playing king of the hill. And what he says, instead of playing king of the hill, play shepherd of the flock. It's a a posture. It's one that you realize I am called to take on the posture of a shepherd for a community, a shepherd for my group, a shepherd for my family, a shepherd. And I'm going to protect, I'm going to serve, I'm going to care, I'm going to nurture, I'm going to be watchful over them. Well, what does it look like? What does this posture take? He gives us a few examples. He says, first, this posture of leadership is they have good attitudes. They have good attitudes. You notice that. It says, not because you must, not because you have to, 
Not because, man, no one else will. You ever stepped into something just because no one else did? And then you're just griping and you're complaining and you're grumbling and you're going like, man, nobody else will. And so I have to. And you bring this really negative, bad attitude to it. It says not because you must, but because you're willing, because you're eager, because you have this desire to. You bring this good attitude. You see, your attitude is the most contagious thing about you. Everywhere you go, your attitude impacts the atmosphere, whether it's a good attitude or bad attitude. And you know this because you know the one person that is the Eeyore in the office or the Eeyore, and you're like, oh my goodness, so glad that they're homesick today. The office was awesome. Right? Because one person can affect the entire atmosphere. And what he's saying to us as leaders is bring a good attitude attitude. Like, I don't feel like it today. That's not the issue. Bring a good attitude. Well, I don't really want to. I didn't ask you. Bring a good attitude. You know, I get to coach my kids, um, and it's a lot of fun. And the two things I tell them, uh, each team, when I coach them, there's two things that you get to control. Like, we're playing basketball right now. You can't control if, you know, the ball goes in when you're shooting the hoop. You can do the work, you can do all those sort of things, but even Steph Curry has off nights, okay? So let's not pretend that we can control whether the ball is going to go in the hoop. Two things we can control is our attitude and our effort. We get to choose the type of attitude we bring, and we get to choose the type of hustle we bring to anything we do. See, too many of us just cave way to whatever we're feeling in the moment, and we bring a bad attitude. You get to choose. And he says, not because you must, because you're willing to do it. Leadership's not this position, but a posture. And the posture I'm going to bring is I'm going to bring a good attitude into this moment. I'm going to bring a cheerful disposition. I'm going to choose to encourage instead of complain in this moment. And then he goes on and says, check your motives. Check why you're doing it. Not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve. We live in a world that's all about build your platform, build your brand. It's all about you. He says, listen, seasoned leaders, check your motives. Ask the question, why am I doing what I am doing? Have you asked that question? Why am I doing this really? Is it for my reputation? Is it to be recognized? Is it so that I have control? Ooh, that is hard for leaders. For some of us, we love control, and so we step into places, and it's not to serve, it's to control or to have power or to have influence. He says, check your motives. Is it for myself or is it to serve? Such a great question anytime we step into some new venture. Okay, God, why am I doing what I'm doing? And when he bubbles up those areas in our life that we realize, okay, that, that's a false motive. So I'll give you an example. There's times um, that I've had that are challenging when you speak for a living to come with just the right motives, Right? I can get up and proclaim the word of God, but there can be this underlying motive in my heart is I really want you to think good of me. I really want you to think, man, that Ryan, he's funny, he's engaging, he's smart. Wow, that was helpful. 
and you just bring that before God. See, when you understand and you realize, okay, I'm wrestling with my motives right now, and I just bring it to you, he'll show you. He'll reveal it. He says, okay, as you bring that and go, God, I'm struggling right now. I, I want people to think well of me, and I confess that, and I'm sorry. And so I'm leaning in, and I want people to think well of you, God. And you begin to bring him your motives. He says, have a good attitude, check your motive, and then notice this, set the example. Set the example. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You know, there's, there's something that when you finally get to the top of the hill, it can kind of feel like, well, everyone else has to do that, but I don't have to anymore. So he's saying leadership is not a dictatorship, not even in the home. It's not demanding loyalty or submission. In fact, it is setting the example. I love how the Apostle Paul said it, I think it's 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where he says, Follow my example as I follow Christ. Seasoned leader. You're like, okay, Ryan, you said you're going to define seasoned leader. Who is that? Okay, if you're a Gen Xer in this room or a baby boomer in this room, welcome to the seasoned leader. But also, there are some of you millennials. Like, no, 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 millennials. It can't be millennials. There's a 20-year gap. So there's some millennials who are 23 right now or 24, and there's others that are 37. If you're in your 30s, I want you to begin to process and realize perhaps I am now moving and making that shift into this seasoned leader place. And so I'm called to set the example. I'm called to be the example at my workplace, be the example, and not simply tell people what to do. I'm going to walk the walk and invite people to follow what I do. And then he goes on. He finally says, leadership's not this position, posture to take, good attitude, motives, examples, and then remember who's in charge. Remember who's in charge. And when Christ, the chief shepherd, appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade. See, you are never an autonomous leader. It's not like the buck stops with you. The buck stops with Jesus. Jesus is the leader of Awakening Church. Be very careful anytime you ascribe a person's name to a church. Oh, I go to so-and-so's church. I go to his church. I go to her church. Oh, I go to their church. No, no, no. You go to the church of Jesus, and we just get to be the under-shepherds. He is the boss. And we go, okay, we're just reporting for duty, Jesus. Whatever you say, we'll do. You get to call the shots. And I want you to notice this, that courageous leadership will be rewarded. You, know, you see that? You'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade as you step in because leadership and stepping into this type of discipleship is sacrificial. There is a giving up. There is a sacrificing. And he says, your sacrifice will be rewarded. Okay, first, to older leaders, leadership's not a position you hold, but a posture to take. Okay, well, what about the emerging leaders? To the younger leaders or the emerging leaders, are you a high school student in here? He's talking to you. Are you a college student, young professional? He's talking to you here. Notice what he says. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves 
to your elders. Come under their authority. We've seen this word submit multiple times already in the book of Peter. And he's talking about submitting uh, to unjust authority. He's talked about submitting to an unreasonable employer. He's talked about even submitting to a hard-hearted spouse. Think about how great it is to come under the authority of one whose posture is they bring a good attitude. They come with pure motives. They set the example. And they're always keeping in mind who's in charge. Don't you want to submit to that kind of leader? You go like, yeah, I'd follow that. Emerging leaders, here's what he's saying. To be a good leader, you first must become a good follower. Too many want to run out of the gate and don't want to listen to anyone. One of the temptations of a young leader is you think you know better and that their ways are old, antiquated, and outdated. He's saying, no, no, no. Just because you can Google it doesn't mean you have life's wisdom. You need to get around older leaders. So here's what he's saying. Emerging leaders, arrange your life under wise and godly leaders of the church. Arrange it. This means it's not incidental. It's not happenstance. It's not coincidental that you intentionally navigate and you look around and go, okay, who are some wise and godly leaders here that I'm going to come under and I'm going to learn from? Luke 6.40 says when a student's fully trained, he'll become or she'll become just like their master. Now, we come under the tutelage of Jesus And yet we look and we look around and go, okay, are there godly leaders when I look at their lives 10 years ahead of mine that I want my life to look like theirs? That doesn't happen by accident. That happens when you're intentionally come under their authority and leadership to become like them. Would you arrange your life under the wise and godly leaders of the church. This word submit, like I said, it's been used a few different times. It's the Greek word hupotasso. It's this Greek military term meaning to arrange troops or divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. In a non-military use, it was this voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying the burden. Where you go, okay, I am voluntarily bringing myself under your leadership. And notice this, emerging leaders. Because next slide, it says, in the same way. You see that in the text? In the same way? Well, what's the same way? The same way that senior leadership's called to lead, emerging leaders are called to follow. Good attitude. Check your motives. Set the example. Remember who's in charge. For some, you want influence. Your desire to really make an impact. Love that. You will get more and more influence and leadership responsibility when you bring a good attitude, when you come with the right motives. When a leader can really trust, you're not out for yourself. You're out for the cause of Christ. When you set the example and when you keep Jesus front, and center. Now, here's why this is so important. And when I talk to the young millennials and Gen Z, love you guys, here's what I love, is you guys have this passion 
to make an impact with your life. You want to change the world. And man, that's just wonderful and it's awesome. The problem is we want to change the world in an instant. We want to have this microwave impact. And we got to engage in the crockpot reality of leadership development. We live in an instant society, but leadership development is a process. In fact, I love this little book here. I guess it's not little. <laughs> um, it's called The Complete Green Letters by Miles Stanford. And he, in one, he talks about time, and he says this. This is such a good line. This is so important for all of us to understand. We're in the process of God. He says, God does not hurry in his development of our Christian life. He is working from and for eternity. So many feel they are not making progress unless they are swiftly and constantly forging ahead. He gives this illustration about this person that it says a student asked the president of his school whether he could, uh, whether he could not take a shorter course than the one prescribed. Oh, yes, replied the president, but then it depends upon what you want to be. When God wants to make an oak, he takes 100 years, but when he wants to make a squash, he takes six months. You cannot shortcut the process of God in your life, of developing Christian character and the leader you're made to be. Uh, in his book, um, Making of a Leader, Robert Clinton unpacks these stages of leadership development. I just want to outline these very quickly for you so you can kind of see perhaps where you're at in the process of growing as a leader. And he says, uh, the first stage is this sovereign foundation, really from birth to about 18 years of age, where it, it's the, the home life you grew up in, the, the different highs and lows, the hurts and the um, good seasons of your life that have shaped who you are. Then he says stage two is this inner life growth. This is the character formation stage. This is a season that happens obviously all throughout your entire life, but, but really formational in your 20s, really from 20 to 30, building this character formation of like, who are you going to be? Have you answered that question? Not what are you going to do? Too many 20-year-olds are asking, what am I going to do? Start asking the question, who am I going to to be. Stage three, then, is this ministry maturity. When you begin to use the gifts that God's put into you uh, and use them in ministry, really from 25 to 35, you're developing this skill of ministry. Maybe it's leading a group. Maybe, maybe it's engaging with kids, or uh, it's using the gift of, of giving and service and uh, encouragement and exhortation. You're beginning to develop the skill. And then you have this process of just life maturity, and it's a long process, isn't it? I'll even just put a number on it, but there's this, I think in your 30s, from 30 to 40, you've, you've hit many of life's biggest transitions early on. Or perhaps, you know, you've at least finished school, maybe hopefully are close to paying off school. You've had one, maybe two or three different jobs. You've, um, you know, perhaps have bought a house, maybe if gotten married, had kids, and you begin to have this life maturity that begins to give you a deeper understanding of how all of life works. So stage one, two, three, four doesn't mean that you're not having an impact. It just means that you haven't reached your impact potential yet. Stage five is convergence. When your inner life, that is your character, your ministry maturity, the skills of really how to utilize the gifts God's put in you, 
And then your overall life maturity, learning how to navigate life well, converge. Often this is in the stage of 40 to 60 years of age, of you have this convergence. And for some, you're like, I'm 20. I don't want to converge at 60. Man, friends, I got news for you. You have an awesome, amazing future ahead of you. And then there's this uh, final stage, and he talks about not many people get to experience this. This is the afterglow. That's uh, maybe 65, 70 plus when it's no longer what can you do, it's, it's being that sage and that counsel and that wisdom. And, and you're able to pass on in such deep and rich ways. We need more of the afterglow in our church with this generation. Where are you at in the stages of leadership development? And would you begin to cooperate and arrange your life under wise and godly leaders so that you can develop and grow into the person God designed you to be? All right, to emerging leaders, he says, arrange your life under wise and godly leaders. To the seasoned leaders, he says, leadership's not a position, but a posture you take. All right, how about to every leader? This is for all of us. To every follower of Jesus, he says, going to tell us three things. First, walk in humility. Walk in humility. The primary temptation of every single leader is pride. And it's easy when you're looking back on life to see it in other people and in younger leaders, how prideful they are. And it's insidious. Pride is almost never seen in the mirror. It's really hard for us to see it. That's why we have to walk in humility in community. Notice how he says, all of you. How many is that of us in this room? All? Help me out. All. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to get some cheeky thing in the Greek, it means all, you know. Then he says, clothe yourself with humility. Circle that word clothe. That, that's actually a very interesting Greek word here. It's not just your normal for putting on clothes. This is speaking specifically of the apron a slave would wear. He's saying, take on the garment a slave would wear called humility. And it's the picture for Peter of John chapter 13, of what Jesus did. In the night he was betrayed, the final supper, and remember, he took off his outer coat, and then he wrapped a towel around his waist. Same word. And then he bent down and began to wash his disciples' feet. He says, all of you, to every single one of us, Walk in humility. Clothe yourself in humility towards one another. Why? God opposes the proud. I don't know about you. I don't ever want to be in a place where God is opposed to me. Literally against. Going like, okay, fan. Yeah, that, that's a terrific reason all in itself. God opposes the proud, but he gives favor or grace to the humble. So then, this is first, humble yourselves. Command, humble yourselves. Why? Because either you can humble yourselves or you will be humbled yourself. But you get the choice. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, under his timing, under his provision, under his care, under his watchful eye and his strength. Why? That he may lift you up 
in due time, in just the right time. And when the timing is, is what is needed. And then he is going to tell us, well, how do we humble ourselves? In some of your translations, as you're looking at it, it, yours says, in due time, by casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Walk in humility. Take on the, the towel of servant leadership. Follow in the footsteps of your master. How do we do this? He says, by casting. Literally, that word is a strong word. It means to throw with force. And I know anxiety in our day and age, it's a, it's a clinical term. He's talking about your worries and your concerns and your cares. See, what a leader does with worry is just work harder. And he says, what you do with it is you take it to Jesus. You just go, I'm going to cast it all on you. I'm going to cast it on you. I'm going to just bring my concerns to you. I'm going to bring all that I have to your feet. God, I can't, but you can. See, pride is any time I am at the center of the equation. In fact, if you just write out the word pride, P-R-I-D, and you just circle the I in the middle, it's just when I'm in the middle. Whether I'm thinking too highly of myself or too lowly of myself, both of those are thinking about yourself. Humility is getting your focus and your lens on God and being focused on who he is. It's actually not really thinking about yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. It's like, okay, God, my eyes are on you. I'm going to cast all my cares. He says to every leader, our posture, walk in humility. And then he says this, watch out for spiritual attack. When you step into leadership, when you step into a relationship with Jesus, you become a target for the enemy. He says we're going to walk. There's a way and a pattern by which we as followers of Jesus should be known. And it's this humble posture where we're ready to serve to take up the towel and then we're going to be aware we're going to watch out for the enemy's attack he says be alert and sober-minded why because your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour resist him isn't that good news some of you just you gloss over that he says there's a roaring lion ready to devour you and he doesn't say tremble he doesn't say, man, you're, you're, you're in bad shape. Run as fast as you can. Standing firm in your faith. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We take our stand in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so we don't walk around with shaking knees, but we do walk aware. He says we got to watch out. For spiritual attack. You have a spiritual enemy that wants to destroy you. See, in, in, this, in this life, it's not a cakewalk. We're in the middle of a battle zone. And when does a lion attack its prey? Yeah, when, when I was just in Africa like about six months ago. I didn't get to see this. I wish I would have. It would have made for a better story. But when a lion attacks their prey is when they're not watching, when they're isolated, when they're alone, when they're unaware, when they're vulnerable, when they're tired, when they're weak, right? Friends, we too often walk unaware 
And when we're tired, when you're alone, when you're, you are vulnerable. He's saying, watch out. Be aware that you have an enemy that wants to attack you. And so don't be surprised. Listen, you just stepped up to lead a small group and the day after you're discouraged. Don't be surprised. You just stepped up and you, got, you feel like God called you into this new position of leadership at your workplace. And then all of a sudden, the sin that has entangled you since your youth all of a sudden flares up. Why are we shocked? Right? You, you just begin to step into this ministry area and all of a sudden you're having arguments at home. And you're like, I don't even know where this came from. Why are we, what are we arguing about? I don't know why, but it's heated. Watch out for spiritual attack. See, because here's on the, on the front end, if the enemy can't steal your impact, he wants to rob you of the blessing. And then when you give out spiritually, you have to be so aware after that. And see, I, I know in my own life, this is just my own thing, I can be aware beforehand. Like for some of you, like leading a small group, leading kids ministry, you're aware, okay, I'm praying, God, I want to prepare my heart. And then you let down and you let your guard down. He says, watch out, you have a spiritual enemy, and you are not alone. Resist him, James would say it this way, and he will help me out, anyone who knows it. Oh boy, we got to learn our Bible. (laughs) Resist him, and he will flee. It's a bad idea in the wild to stand up to a lion, will not flee. Just saying. In case some of you were going to try it. I don't think you would. In Christ, we fight and stand from victory, not for victory. And so we stand on the finished work of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwelling in us It's not that we're somehow afraid, but we want to be aware of the deceitful schemes of the enemy. Be aware when those doubts are creeping in. Be aware when the slander, that's what this word is right here, by the way, devil is slander. When when you're feeling condemnation, when you're feeling guilt, when you're having this shame wash over you, enemy at work cutting you down, when you have that wave of discouragement that just is pouring over you, It's the enemy's work in your life because he knows a discouraged saint is a defeated saint. You're going, no, no, no. I'm coming to the throne. I'm reminding myself of who I am in Christ, and I'm going to resist it, and it will flee. Walk in humility. Watch out for spiritual attack. And then finally, we have to learn the secret of endurance. This is a lost art in our society, in our day and age, because hard we just kind of go like, well, I, I don't really want to. That's, wh- why? It's hard. Following Jesus and leading is hard. But life is hard as well. We talked about that last week. You can look at that. How do we suffer well? And he says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm and steadfast, now to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let me just run these off for you. I wish we could preach, you know, like a whole sermon on this right here. How do you learn the secret of endurance? First, you have to realize you come to the God of unlimited resources. 
See, we often struggle with endurance because we look at our personal resources and like, I can't do it anymore. I've, I've, we've got nothing. No, no, no. The God of all grace, unlimited resources. And then you keep in front of you your calling. You see that? Who called you to his eternal glory. Get clear on your calling. That's one of the things Prof. Hendricks always said. I love this. I've hung on to this in those hard times. Don't question in the darkness what God has clearly shown you in the light. You're going to go through the dark seasons. You're going to go through the storms. And you have to get clear on the front end. This is the calling of God on my life. And so I'm going to walk through that. And I'm not going to question it. I'm going to lean on and hold on to the things that he has been so clear on in my life. And that is going to be the anchor point as I walk through this dark season. And he says this, suffering will not last forever. You ever talk to a new parent, like brand new baby, and they're in baby land and they're not sleeping? The first time around, they think that's the way it is forever. They think, I can't sleep, I can't barely think, I can't barely function, oh my goodness. And there's something that when you hit these really hard seasons, we naturally think this is how it is forever. And those of us who have kids went through it and know, no, it's just for now. One day they will sleep through the night. It's just tonight. I'm sorry to tell you. It's not tonight. But one day they will. Suffering will not last forever. And you have to recognize that in the middle of it all, God is at work. He himself will restore you and make you strong. He's actually in the middle of it. Endurance is the muscle by which God produces character formation in our lives. When we opt out of that, we step out of the process of God forming Christ in us. That word restore is an interesting word. It's the picture of a... um, a boat that was buffeted by storms at sea and just really been torn apart and yet had made its way to safe harbor and was being mended and put back and repaired. It's also the picture of someone who's fractured their arm and it's being reset. And God says, I'm doing that in your life through this season. I know it's hard. I know it's, you're, you're just trying to make it through. But you have to trust and you have to know I'm in the middle of it. I'm working through it. I'm with you and I will restore and put all things right. Courageous leadership. Courageous leadership. As the leaders of Awakening Church goes, so goes the church. I talk to you this morning as leaders because what I see in this room is a room full of influencers and world changers. And as we go, would you step in and lean into the calling of Christ on your life? Maybe you're in your workplace. Maybe you're leading here at Awakening where you would realize and understand, man, I've stepped in and God's called me to make an influence and an impact. You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to get up on a stage and do what you do, Ryan. That's not what we're asking We get to do it one person at a time. And when you do it one person at a time, it has this ripple effect. And that's how the world was changed by the early followers of Jesus. And that's how this world and our culture will be changed once more. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much 
for our time together. Thank you for your word. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us now as we're wrestling with your word, that you would bring to us the things that you're calling us to take the next steps on. That you would, you would show us, you would give us wisdom to know what to do and then the courage to do it. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's saying I'm sorry to someone. Maybe it's taking the step of going, okay, no, God, you've called me to lead. I'm going to step into that today. In Jesus' name, amen. 